So you may notice that I have very minimal PowerPoint. That's intentional. Um, hopefully this will be less of a sermon and more of a service or an experience. Um, we'll see how well that goes. First, I'm going to review where we've been. First Corinthians. Uh, at the beginning of First Corinthians, Paul says, hello, greetings, Paul, to the Corinthians, etc." Then he talks about theology for a couple chapters. He talks about how Christ is not divided. He talks about how wisdom is crosswise. That is, uh, what the world considers foolish is wise, and God considers the world foolish. Um, he talks about divisions again and how they're a problem. He talks about uh, church leadership and what that means and how to be a leader. Then he goes on, on to some more practical issues like being chased and taking all sin seriously, as Wade um, talked about a few weeks ago. He talks about lawsuits and how to resolve our differences as believers. He talks about sex uh, and marriage. Then he talks about how we use our freedom. Uh, specifically, he's talking about the issue of eating food sacrificed to idols. Uh, and then he talks about his own example of using his own freedom as a leader uh, for submissive service, for, for service in the care of others. Then he goes on and talks about uh, how we worship. Um, he, uh, we, we heard from Dean last week about worshiping idols and about the example of the Israelites and their own problems with idol worship uh, right at, even right after seeing all the wonderful things that God had done in the Exodus, they were still tempted in God's judgment in that. Um, then he goes on to talk about head coverings, which is the first part of today. Hopefully it won't take too long. Then he talks about the Lord's Supper, which I'd like to make space to expand on and to, to celebrate. Uh, then next week, uh, we'll hear from, or the week after next, um, the next week we're, we're meeting together, Wade will talk about spiritual gifts. Then um, a chapter I, I'd like to entitle, What is Love? 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, then more on spiritual gifts. Uh, then he returns to a theology talking about the end of the world and what that's going to be like. Uh, chapter 15, and then he concludes with different logistics and sort of a greeting, um, and that's the book. So I'm going to get uh, Jessica to read the first part of 1 Corinthians uh, 11. 1 Corinthians 11, 1 through 16. And you should follow my example, just as I follow Christ's. I am so glad, dear friends, that you always keep me in your thoughts, and you are following the Christian teaching I passed on to you. But there is one thing I want you to know. A man is responsible to Christ, a woman is responsible to her husband, and Christ is responsible to God. A man dishonors Christ if he covers his head while praying or prophesying, but a woman dishonors her husband if she prays or prophesies without a covering on her head, for this is the same as shaving her head. Yes, if she refuses to wear a head covering, she should cut off all her hair. And since it is shameful for a woman to have her hair cut or her head shaved, then she should wear a covering. A man should not wear anything on his head when worshiping, for a man is God's glory made in God's own image, but woman is the glory of the man. For the first man didn't come from woman, but the first woman came from man. 
and man was not made for a woman's benefit, but woman was made for man. So a woman should wear a covering on her head as a sign of authority because the angels are watching. But in relationships among the Lord's people, women are not independent of men, and men are not independent of women. For although the first woman came from man, all men have been born from women ever since, and everything comes from God. What do you think about this? Is it right for a woman to pray to God in public without covering her head? Isn't it obvious that it is disgraceful for a man to have long hair? And isn't it obvious that long hair is a woman's pride and joy? For it has been given to her as a covering. But if anyone wants to argue about this, all I can say is that we have no other custom than this, and all the churches of God feel the same way about it. Wow. Uh, I, I really don't actually know exactly what this means. Um, you know, region education, class on first, first Corinthians, it's still kind of hard to understand. Um, furthermore, I have long hair, in case you didn't notice. Um, and and it, it, would, it would be dishonest of me to say that I'm not, like, that there aren't parts of me that are, are actually really troubled when I hear this passage. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I really might come to the position that it's actually a problem, and I really might cut my hair at some point. Um, but right now, there are a couple considerations that I want to share with you about why I keep my hair long, and I think that's okay. Um, one is that the theme, as I kind of emphasized in my outline, if you caught it, um, one theme in First Corinthians, if it's not the main theme, it's definitely there, is that divisions are <clears throat> a problem, particularly when we use our freedom to create these divisions. Um, so, so for, first of all, Paul is assuming that we have freedom, like real, genuine, we don't have to follow the, 300 and, the 613 laws of the Old Covenant. We don't have to live with the kind of bondage and hurts that Karen was talking about bringing to the cross. Like, we have freedom from those things. And our freedom is to be used in love and service, not to offend. Like, Paul is very clear that when we use that the freedom that we have is n does not include genuinely offending other people and saying, oh, I don't care, it doesn't matter. And, and because this is such a prominent theme in 1 Corinthians, it seems plausible that even if Paul doesn't explicitly say so in this passage, that, that's, that, that it, there was a misuse of freedom at the root of this issue about head coverings. And, and so, since I don't think I'm offending anyone with my long hair, I think that I probably have freedom in that. Um, but if I were in a context where that was a really, really, truly offensive, I would. Um, actually, I, I read a book once about, giving, be, about living in simplicity, and one of the things that I gave up uh, in response to that book was my long hair. Like, I, I literally went into my parents' bathroom and shaved my head because I was like, well, that's what I feel called to. 
Um, my second consideration is that this passage is, is difficult to understand. One, because everybody, we, we have a sense that this is difficult to understand because everybody says so. Uh, all the commentators, etc. Furthermore, there are lots of different theories. So if it, people are trying to, if you have a general consensus, you can be like, oh, the, this you know, people have a general idea of what this passage means. But if there's, you know, huge, lots of different interpretations, and it's like, well, maybe it's not so clear. Um, and, and furthermore, the so so in the passage. Uh, it talked both about wives and about women in general. However, or in, in this translation, um, however, in the Greek, it's all the same word. Like there, there is no specific, in biblical Greek, there's no specific designation between men and women and husbands and wives. Like there, and, and so you may think of other passages where um, Paul's talking about young women or unmarried, like, um, unmarried women, and um, it's not necessarily clear like, who exactly these women are or, or what, what kind of um, relationships they're in, or is he talking about only wives, or is he talking about women in general? Um, so it's not clear in, in this passage necessarily whether he's talking about gender roles in general or about uh, gender roles in marriage, particularly since uh, for women in the first century, it could well have been that head coverings were a sign of being married. And so not if you were married and you had, were exercising your Christian freedom to not wear a head covering, you, it was like, you know, people were assuming that you were a prostitute, and that's kind of dishonoring to your husband. Um, we don't necessarily have a, a clear concept of the exact cultural customs. Like we have some ideas about married women wearing head coverings um, and about how men, Roman men, particularly Roman citizens who were legally allowed to wear a toga, you may not know this, but um, your socioeconomic status in the Roman world, your dress code was legally defined by your socioeconomic status. Like, unless you were a Roman citizen, you could not wear a toga. Um, and and in, in uh, pagan worship, Romans would take the loose folds of their toga and put them over their head. And so if you have some Roman citizens coming to church and doing this, um, they, and, and some people at the church who aren't Roman citizens and can't do this because they're wearing a tunic that you can't pull over your head, that would be a way of shaming them. So that, and in light of what Paul is saying about shaming people in worship in the next section, that seems like a plausible explanation, um, even, if it, even if there are also lots of other potentially plausible explanations. Uh, finally, I'd like to note that whatever Paul is saying about men and women and husbands and wives, 
He is not saying that women are inferior to men. Note that there is a parallelism. Every man who prays or prophesies, every woman who prays or prophesies, assuming women are praying and prophesying, that is, being a part of the ministry of the church. Furthermore, Paul is clearly referencing the creation story. Uh, he says, woman was made from man, that is, woman was taken out of his side, uh, in which it explicitly, and, and in Genesis, it explicitly says that God made uh, them in his image, male and female. And furthermore, if you haven't heard, uh, the, the term that is used to describe Eve as a helper for Adam, when God says, uh, it's not good for man to be alone, let's make him a helper, that term is almost always, if not always used, uh, backed in throughout the rest of the Bible to refer to God himself. Uh, so that, that is not a term, uh, a term of helper in the sense of somehow being inferiority or a junior helper. All right, can you come and read the rest? Just waiting for technology. Hopefully has it on the screen. But now, when I mention this next issue, I cannot praise you. For it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. First of all, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church. And to some extent, I believe it. But of course, there must be divisions among you, so that those of you who are right will be recognized. It is not the Lord's Supper you are concerned about when you come together. For I am told that some of you hurry to eat your, meal, your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Is this really true? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace the church of God and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say about these things? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly do not. For this is what the Lord himself said, and I pass it on to you just as I received it. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and you, sealed by the shedding of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So if anyone eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily, that person is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking from the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup unworthily, not honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. But if we examine ourselves, we will not be examined by God and judged in this way. But when we are judged and disciplined by the Lord, we will not be condemned with the world. So, dear brothers and sisters, 
when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. If you are really hungry, eat at home so you won't bring judgment upon yourselves when you meet together. I'll give you instructions about the other matters after I arrive. This is the word of the Lord. Lots of people do communion lots of different ways, and lots of people have really strong feelings about it, uh, both theologically and practically. Uh, I'm not going to wade too much into the traditional theological debates, uh, but we are going to be doing things a bit differently in our practice, so pay attention. Uh, Be forewarned, this is a a full engagement lesson. Uh, And to, to start with that, who has ever felt excluded in any context? Any, anyone have a story they would like to share that sort of encapsulates that feeling or that thought? I totally, I, I have deep sympathy for that. It, it's true. No matter no matter how excluded we feel, there's always somebody who has had a more traumatic experience. Uh, I mean, there's also the class, classic sitting at the lunch table and being asked to leave or not having space. Has anybody ever felt included in anything? Um, go ahead. Wow, that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> um, does anybody have... Uh, thank you. Um, Christine was sharing about how she feels really included in her small group, uh, that even though she's single without children and everyone else in the group is either married and has kids or unmarried and has kids, that she still feels really included in as an important part of that group. And as I was thinking through some of the times that I've felt included and excluded, I noticed that a lot of them involve food. That um, I remember going to uh, a sort of, in in university, going to a friend's house to celebrate Easter, uh, because obviously I didn't have family where I was, and just being very welcomed and included, and even though I only even was, like, it wasn't even a terribly good friend that I was invited to, and um, it was like her, her former pastor, it was like, how many degrees of remove, however, you know, it was like five degrees of remove or something from, from these people, um, but I was very welcomed and included in that. Um, Now, now I'd like to bring it a little bit home. Are there any places in our church where you see, where either you feel excluded or where you see other people excluded? Um, I, 
I mean, if anyone has one that they really feel open and ready to share, I, I'd be happy for that. Uh, but I, I realize that, that that may be something that we should meditate on and, and wait. Um, I mean, I, j just to, to share for my own sake, I, sometimes I feel like Chili Wagon and, and those guys can be kind of excluded. And, and, and sometimes they, the, the shoulder of hospitality and, and food gets passed to them. And then it, no, it, it's not the church doing it anymore. It's not the church having a meal. It's, it's them feeding us. Um, and I, I'm really thankful for them. And I, I hope that I'm thankful for the ways that that's not true, that that, um, and, and I'm hopeful for the future of us being able to share together and eat together and to serve each other uh, as we continue, go forward. Um. Thank you. Aldona was sharing about how she's always felt very included and that there's been a spirit of hospitality, but that in order to feel that, she's had to jump in. Uh, and it, it is so hard. I, I think sometimes as sinful people, we're happy to exclude ourselves. Uh, and it's not always the church's fault or, or society's fault or like... <clears throat> Um, it, it, there's such a, a, it's almost a dance between um, including others and trusting others to include themselves and, and to balance, uh, you know, just how life works. Um, but at Corinth, there was some serious exclusion going on. There was some uh, Paul uses very strong language to condemn uh, these people for their divisions. For uh, it, it looks like people were probably bringing food, like communion was kind of a potluck meal, and then people were bringing food, but they were eating their own food, and they weren't sharing. And Paul's like, this is so bad, you're not even actually having communion. You, you, you have so entirely missed the point that you're defeating yourself. It's like somebody wearing a button that says, ban buttons. It, or, or like, you know, you see, um, I mean, I feel, I feel like the internet is just full of all these examples of people who, who are trying so hard to do something that they fail to do it. Um, The uh, 
And the thing about eating together is that it, it's supposed to be this incredibly powerful act uniting us. It's supposed to be a place where we become companions. Calm, with, together, pan, bread. Companions, the people that you eat together, the people you share bread together with. You know, Paul says, we are one bread, one body. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Uh, St. Augustine talked about how bread comes from many different grains, uh, like many different individual pieces of wheat, and that they get crushed, and that they, they go through a process of suffering, of, of purification. First, they get crushed, then they get mixed with water, like baptism. Then they are baked as with the fire of the Holy Spirit. And that that together binds us as one bread. In fact, when I say the body of Christ, what, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Like, what does that phrase mean, the body of Christ? All right, what else does it mean? Yeah, Jesus' actual physical, historical body. What else does it mean? Absolutely. The, the church as a body with many members. Um, it, it also, we talk about um, this is Christ's body and his blood given for us. And in some traditions, there's this really strong identity with saying, this really is the body and blood of Jesus. But the, the very earliest writings from the church were, were even more, many of them talked about like, the importance of that identity. But even more so, they talked about the identity of this as Christ's body, making us Christ's body that we, when you eat food, you take it in, you digest it, and it becomes a part of you. Like those proteins and those uh, carbohydrates, sugars, become a part of your body. But when we eat Christ's body, we take it in, and we become a part of his body. It's like... It's the very fire of God that we take in and it sets us on fire. And, and what is Christ's body like? Like what is the, the sort of adjective or adverb of how, how do we, what's the form of Christ's body? It's love. It's self-sacrificial love. And that's why what the Corinthians were doing is so beyond description of terrible. It is so, like Paul, so incensed that you guys are, are completely failing to do, you're not even doing what you're trying to do because you're doing it so badly. 
Because when we come to the, the bread and the cup without togetherness, without love, without being Christ's body, then we're, if we come with divisions and social distinctions and trying to make everyone, like, trying to use this as a place to divide, then we're, we're not recognizing Christ's body and blood. We're not actually living into the story, not living into our identity. Paul uses some pretty harsh words about examining ourselves. And there are some traditions where that can become this really almost crippling, introspective, oh, I have to muster up the exact right feeling, and if I, I don't have the exact right frame of mind, then, it, then I'm not doing it right, and there'll be judgment, and I'm not, and I have to be ready. And I, I think it's, it's clear, or at least a lot of what Paul's talking about is examining our, ourselves as a, a community of people who are, are we, are we unified together? I mean, he starts the passage and he ends the passage by talking about, are we, are we sharing the, the bread and the cup in a way that, that is love? Like, are, are we excluding people? Like, so, so when he, he says examine ourselves, sure, that can, that there's a part of that that is opening up our hearts and letting God see, like, like asking God to reveal um, sort of inner sin. But there's also a sense that, you know, are we, um, are we actually sharing this? I think that when Paul talks about the judgment, um, that that the way that I understand it is it's a it's a lot like fire. When, when we take the, the elements, it's, it's like handling something dangerous. And if we're not handling them right, then we're going to get burned. And, and, when the, the, and Paul says the way to handle them right is to be to unified in love. It, So, so this, I, I think sometimes we can we get scared of judgment, and and it's we shouldn't so much get scared of judgment as as see it as an unpleasant part of the process. God is trying to make us the kind of people who can live with him. And he is a consuming fire. And so when there are parts of us 
when there are ways of, of our lives that, that are, are sinful and broken, when, when there are parts of us that don't love and who, who take pride in our divisions, then, then it, it's his love, it's his, his burning, fiery love that comes to us and sometimes harshly or, or seemingly harshly forces us to move beyond those things, to let go of, to, to abandon ourselves so that we can embrace the self-sacrificing love that, that is the, the, the form, the shape of his body that we are come, becoming a part of. So we're going to transition. Um, I, I know I, I've sort of rambled a little bit. Um, and I, I hope that as we take communion, we, we can hold together the sense of that this meal makes us one body. This meal is a binding, unitive uh, gathering together. And that this is only possible because of Jesus' sacrifice. That we are remembering, we are entering into that story. We are saying that the story of the world, the story of dividing along social lines, along, I like this person, I like, um, uh, finding our own little clique that living, that, that that is not the story. That is not, um, we're, we're not going to fit into that body, but that we are going to be a different body that's shaped in a different way. And as a, a physical way of doing that, uh, we're going to have uh, Jessica and Rick uh, serve the elements, but then I, I don't want you to, to take and to eat uh, when they give them to you. I want you to take and then go, go and sit back down, and then we will all together uh, take the bread and drink the cup. Uh, that's why there, there's no cup to dip the bread in, but you take a piece of bread, you hold it, and you take a cup and you hold it, and you're, you're holding the very fire of God. Like Jesus' body and his blood broken and shed for you. Him, his own self-sacrificial gift of himself so that you can be a part of his body. So Joanna's going to get the kids. Um, and if we can put on the music... Um, we're gonna we're gonna do this slowly. Whoa, that's so loud. 
Um, and then, and that, may, that may be uncomfortable, or that may be boring, or that may be really good. Um, I, I hope that there's a little bit of space for reflection and to, if, if what Karen said about coming to the foot of the cross uh, and, and about having some baggage, some anger, some hurt, some distance between you and somebody else who's here, uh, or not here, um, if what she said resonated at all with you, um, you can hold, maybe we can hold that, maybe we can pray um, that, that as we take the body and uh, the blood, we can be transformed into uh, Jesus's body characterized by love and humility. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, please be with us now. Shape us into your body. We have shared one loaf of bread. Make us one body. Help us to see your hand guiding us into into who you want us to be. That you lead us as many members who are not all identical, who are not uniform, but who are, who are, are shaped together, who are, are related by our love for each other and for you. I pray that this fire that we have ingested would set us on fire. So we're, um, the music will keep playing, um, and it's not very late in the day. Um, if you, you'd like to sit, um, there, there is time to sit. Uh, if you'd like to go, there, then be blessed to go. Um, but I, I'm happy to pray with anyone, and I know that there are others who are happy to pray. Um, a reminder.